You're listening to Irreverent Bible Talk, a podcast that's not your grandma's Bible study, unless your grandma happens to be really, really cool. Listener discretion is advised if you object to bad words, women preachers, or terrible puns. Welcome to Irreverent Bible Talk. I'm Jenny. I'm an ordained Lutheran pastor, and I'm a wimp when it comes to horror. And I'm Josh, and I have a bachelor's degree in broadcasting and religion, and I actually used to be a ghost hunter. Oh my gosh, so I need to hear all about this, but I'm Pace, and I am a PhD candidate in systematic and philosophical theology, which is a pretentious way to say I'm a big nerd, and I love horror so much I started a podcast about it. On this episode, all things ghosts, ghouls, and creepy stories, it's Halloween season. So grab a beer, a mocktail, a cup of coffee, or your beverage of choice, and join us as we explore how the Bible is more complicated and more fascinating than you might expect. We are very excited to be welcoming a guest again to our podcast, a good friend of mine, Pace Warfield. We're very glad that you are with us. And we always start out by sharing what it is that we're drinking. So, Pace, what are you drinking today? I'm so glad you asked because I asked my partner, who used to be a mixologist, to make a cocktail for me so I could brag about it on the on air. So this is called... This is a mostly original cocktail of his, and it is called a Way Off Base. It has scotch, mezcal, flarinum, lime juice, bitters, just really clean, really delicious cocktail. That sounds fancy as hell. Uh, I am drinking a non-alcoholic IPA from Lagunitas uh, because I wanted to give it a try, and it is pretty good. Interesting. Interesting. I always think IPAs taste like Windex, but that's just me. <laughs> the, I mean, the, the joke, this is not my joke, but I like to repeat it, is uh, what IPA stands for, of course, is if pine cones were alcohol. <laughs> yes. So. And Josh, what do you got? Since our last recording, I'm still going through some medical tests and all that fun jazz, so I am sticking to good old water fun stuff well water is good water is good i guess yeah (laughs) i guess (laughs) guess. pace thank you again for being here uh pace is a fan of all things horror and so when we wanted to do uh some conversations about spooky things in the bible uh pace was the natural choice pace has their own podcast called horror nerds at church so you should look it up wherever you get your podcasts. And Pace is going to tell us everything we need to know about scary stuff in the Bible. (laughs) I think we have a lot we can cover. We'll see how long this goes. We might have to make it a two-parter. Yeah. uh, Because I have a feeling we're going to have a lot to talk about here. Uh, But Pace, why don't you start us off uh, and just share um, what it is that maybe draws you to horror or specifically like how you see horror intersecting with the Bible, since this is sort of your your passion. Well, I would be remiss to say that uh, for all of you listeners to this podcast, when you check out um, Horror Nerds at Church, you should look for the episode on Vampire Hunter D that I did with (laughs) Jenny and her spouse, Steve and Abel. Uh, It was such a fun episode, but we have so many fun episodes on that podcast. So check it out. We basically take a horror movie and then talk about how it connects to theology, religion, the Bible, all that fun stuff. But what draws me to horror is all of these things 
make it so that I'm living in a world that is not built for people like me. And I know a lot of uh, you listeners may understand how that is and anxiety and tension and fear played out on screen in a safe and, and controlled environment. So like that, I think is a basis for my like of horror is just that it takes all the stuff that we don't often want to talk about and the stuff from the margins, the stuff from under the bed, the stuff from the closets, pulls it out and examines it and then puts it back. And I just storytelling or, and then how that connects to so many other things. And when it comes to the Bible, I will just say, as a queer person, the Bible is terrifying for many ways. We're not going to get into most of those ways on this podcast, but um, there are some legit, like, scary, horrifying stories in the Bible that I'm excited to talk about. So, Yeah, definitely. Josh, do you want to jump in here? What is exciting to you about this area? Uh, that just the unknown. You know, there's so many things that... I've personally seen and heard and just like it's not black and white it's there's all these like shades of gray life and houses in certain locations and it's just it's just weird and it's always interested me Josh and I have been playing uh the video game Phasmophobia which was like really big on the internet a couple of years ago but it's still around and I'm a wimp. I get scared very easily. But basically the idea of the game is that you are in a haunted house or a haunted location and you have to like find signs of the ghost and like figure out what kind of ghost it is. And we'll be playing this game and my like real life adrenaline is pumping and my heart rate's through the roof. And meanwhile, Josh is like, yeah, when I was an actual ghost hunter, I had this crazy experience. And I'm like, what? How? How is this real? How did you actually do this? Because I can barely go to a virtual haunted house. He went to Gettysburg Seminary, now called ULS, Gettysburg Seminary on one of the most like recognizably haunted places in this country. In my defense... I didn't know that until I got there. And then people were like, this is the most haunted place in America. And I was like, cool. Yeah, legit. Legit is. <laughs> Love it. Not seeing it. I read if enough you believe things. in ghosts. If you believe in ghosts, which <laughs> I do. Because, yes. All right. So there are so many places that we could start. I want to start with just one um a sort of self-contained little narrative that I have always found weird and fascinating, uh, which is the story of the Witch of Endor. This is in 1 Samuel. First of all, I just want to say it's wild to me that the Witch of Endor is a thing in the Bible and not a thing from Star Wars, like not a minor Star Wars character, which is what it sounds like. <laughs> Believe it or not, Believe though, or there not. is a minor Star Wars character. Horror Nerds at Church is doing our Star Wars season right now, so this is why it's fresh in my mind. There is a witch who lives on Endor that appears in one of the Ewoks movies. So there is technically a witch of Endor. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. And uh, is she a medium that can commune with the dead? No, that uh, part they did not keep from First Samuel. Missed opportunity. Right. But this story in 1 Samuel, uh, it's chapter 28, is sort of the one that jumps to mind for me when I think about, like, ghost stories in the Bible specifically. Um, basically, the prophet Samuel is dead, and Saul is like, I really need to talk to 
a prophet. I really need to talk to Samuel. Samuel's dead. I need to find somebody who can talk to the dead. And so uh, his servants are like, okay, well, there is a, there's a medium who lives uh, at Endor, and she uh, can talk to the dead for you. And so Saul goes to her and is like, hey, I need to talk to Samuel. And the woman's like, hey, uh, you've been, like, killing all the witches. Don't, like, if you're a cop, you have to tell me, basically. Um <laughs> And Saul is like, no, seriously, I just need to talk to Samuel. And she like summons the ghost of Samuel or the spirit of Samuel. And Samuel's like, man, screw you. Why did you call me? <laughs> He's not happy about it. <laughs> and yeah. Saul is like, I'm in big trouble. I need your help. I need your advice. Uh, and basically Samuel just chews him out. Uh, it's a very weird little... Uh, anecdote and just kind of something that you probably would not expect to find in the Bible if you didn't know it was there of like, oh yeah, this one time that the king went and found a psychic who could talk to the dead and t like called up a dead prophet for him. Like, really? That's in the Bible? That goes against a lot of what you're led to believe. Yeah. Right? Just like I said initially, right? like, hey, you're dead. You're going to heaven right away. True. Well, True. no, it doesn't actually say that. I don't remember seeing that any place. Maybe you all have better understanding than I do, but I don't remember saying it's like an instantaneous thing. Like, no, it's on the right. last day if you're going to follow that. <laughs> Why wouldn't yeah, you be able to talk so to a spirit or a soul? What I mean, whatever consciousness, however that would go on. Yeah. Yeah, Josh and I have already said we need to do an episode on like the afterlife because there's so much there that we can talk about. Yeah, it's very interesting because apparently, at least according to this narrative, yeah, you can contact the the spirits of the dead, uh, which is usually not considered to be a very like biblical idea. Yeah, and like the the law in Exodus and Leviticus is like you should put witches to death. Um, so there is this idea of like there are people who have some kind of power that is like supernatural or whatever. And that that's a bad thing and, like, shouldn't be tolerated uh, unless the king really needs it. And then it's fine. Right. As long as the king okays it, it's all good to go. Uh, yeah, I just find it so interesting. Like, um, I don't know how nerdy to get into this. I am a nerd, as I said in the introduction. All the okay. nerdy. Yeah, go for it. But, like, Full when nerd. this story was written, um, the... Israelite religion was still kind of de in the development phase of like what is going to be our notion of the afterlife. And so to me, what is scary about this is this notion that in a religion that at the time when this was written did not have a huge widespread consistent belief of the afterlife, people somehow are still alive afterwards in a con with their own consciousness intact and that, that conscious can be summoned on the whim of somebody with the powers to summon you. And I just feel like that alone is terrifying. Like if I, if I were Samuel and was woken up from whatever sort of sleep that or Valley of dry bones or whatever the hell is going on, I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast or not. You sure I can. can. You definitely can. Okay. You good. definitely can. Good. That's good to hear. Um, <laughs> but like, I just was like, what the fuck is going on? Who? Why? And so that is terrifying. The other thing, though, is like, 
I did not grow up fundamentalist or anything like that, but I grew up in a rural Lutheran parish, which had enough like shades of fun- fundamentalism that I kind of have some connect, some connection and knowledge of those kind of practices. And so like the thing I was always told growing up is like, don't do a Ouija board because you can bring in the evil spirits and stuff. And so here's the Bible taking seriously this notion of spirits that can be summoned and and one can see where that comes from for somebody who takes the bible very literally but in all fairness yeah no don't ever screw with a ouija board like that is just one of the most terrifying ideas that i could think of it's let's welcome this not only into our house but maybe you know just attach yourself to me like no mm-hmm, i'm mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> even even in phasmophobia, if you pick up the Ouija board, the ghost might kill your friend, and then he'll be really mad at you about it. I mean, I wasn't really mad at you. I was annoyed. <laughs> well, this idea about, like, spirits and the afterlife and, like, things sort of beyond the grave, I think is definitely a theme that we could uh, get more into. And uh, I would love to jump... Uh, to a different supernatural occurrence, uh, which is the resurrection of Jesus, <laughs> uh, which has has some interesting implications for how we understand uh, the afterlife and like what is Jesus. Um, I I see a lot of uh, jokes every year after Easter where it's like Jesus was the first zombie because mm-hmm. he like rose from the dead, and then at one point I saw. A, a nerdy pastor who would, you know, very much fit into this this conversation, who said something like, uh, "No, Jesus isn't a zombie because zombies don't have the intellect and the personality that they had when they were alive." And this uh, this particular person argued, like, "No, actually, Jesus is a lich." I like uh, it. I like it. <laughs> which is like obviously anachronistic and not a thing that the New Testament was thinking about. To go back to that and argue with you, because it it depends on which version of zombie lore you're going with, because in Day of the Dead, they do start remembering certain things. And I think in one of the versions, it starts, the zombies actually start speaking again. And then if you follow Romero's, like, it, like, realizes that it can eat animals as opposed to just eating humans. So that's a whole sidetrack. But yeah. I liked zombies before it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) The most important thing. Yes. Uh, But what I think is, what I think is really interesting in the stories of the resurrection is not that they were concerned about zombies and liches, because I think that was those cultural ideas came later, or maybe were just from different parts of the world than the, the ancient near East. But what they are really concerned about in the New Testament is showing that Jesus is not a ghost. Uh, And if you look at the resurrection appearances, it's really uh, explicit about that, that uh, the disciples see Jesus. They know he's died. They know he's been put in the tomb. They have heard that his body is missing, uh, but then they see him. And the first thing Jesus says in at least a couple of the Gospels is, touch me, right? Like, put your finger in the wounds in my hand, like, put your hand in my side. 
which is like immediately, no, he's corporeal, right? This is not a vision. This is not a dream. This is not a spirit. This is a flesh and blood person. And then uh, in, is it Luke? I think it's Luke uh, that he specifically asks them for something to eat. Jesus, after the resurrection, also eats with the disciples in John's gospel. But this is another thing where it's like, if you're if you're not alive in the proper sense, you're not going to eat. But Jesus eats. And so, like, the resurrected Jesus is not only corporeal, but also alive in some way that is very close to our experience of being alive, but then also very different from our experience of being alive. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, like, I love... So there are the things that the Gospels, as you pointed out, to go out of their way to say Jesus is not a ghost, but then they also include some things that you're like, are you sure about that? <laughs> like when he just will, like in the Road to Emmaus story in Luke, where, where he's in a room talking with the people and then just like disappears. He like poofs. Poofs. And then the same thing happens with the disciples a little bit later on when um, he just appears with the, in the room with them. Same thing with the... Uh, doubting thomas story which is john i think right uh where he just appears among the disciples and disappears again like not opening the doors are even locked in that story the doors are locked and he just like poofs i'm here poof i'm going it's like that's a little ghost like to me it's a little sus so (laughs) right i'm just throwing shit don't mind me (laughs) i was agreeing so hard i'll cut that out but i But I like, I think like, if we were to compare Jesus to any sort of cultural understanding of the undead, I really think he's a vampire. I mean, that kind, there was kind of this uh, Near East understanding of vampire at the time. So I wouldn't be surprised because like the Eucharist is very like, let's drink blood, very vampire like, um, he still has his wounds, but they don't seem to be bothering him any. So, like, he's able to, I guess, slowly heal or something, but not feel the pain of them. He's all about blood. He can rematerialize and stuff like that. I think he's a vampire. All right. But if that is the case, it's clearly not the the kind of vampire lore where they're hurt by sunlight. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So this is, I mean, we've got to be specific what kind of zombie lore and what kind of vampire lore. Or maybe it's just really about. cloudy and <laughs> really cloudy in Jerusalem for those few days after his resurrection. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, just 50 days of straight cloudiness between Easter and Pentecost. Ah. <laughs> where do we want to go next? I have a couple of ideas, but I would love to hear uh, where, where would you like to take the conversation, Pace? Sure, I... I'm thinking, so when I was approached with this idea, I immediately was thinking of some of the horror genres post-apocalyptic stuff. And the whole notion of post-apocalyptic comes from this biblical understanding or this pop Christianity understanding of apocalyptic literature in the Bible and stuff like that. And, um... I think Yeah, when we when we talked about Revelation, we definitely mentioned like Left Behind and yeah. like those kinds of 
yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think I'm thinking of the flood as one example of like this apocalypse happening. It doesn't follow the rules of like apocalyptic literature or anything like that, but it is this kind of popular notion of like the end of the world, this huge disaster happening. I think of like disaster movies like 2012 or something like that, that definitely are horrific, even if they wouldn't be qualified as true horror movies. I would qualify them as true horror movies, but I have an expansive definition of horror. But anyway, The Flood is one of those. Solomon Gomorrah is one of those where it's like the horrifying notion of a god who's just like, yeah, I'm cool with killing all these people. But then also the horrifying notion of Noah versus, I'll just build a boat. And Abraham who's like, no, if I can find like this many people, will you spare the city? And like legit negotiating with God. So it's like, I hope I'm much more of an Abraham type person and not just like a sure, go ahead, kill the world. God, I'm down with that. <laughs> right. Like if if God comes to you personally and says, I'm going to kill everyone but you, like what is the correct response? Uh, and Noah was apparently like, cool, I didn't like my neighbors anyway. Shout out though, uh, Abraham negotiates with God. Yeah. Big shout out though to Moses because God brings that same bargain to Moses after the golden calf and is like, listen, I'm just going to wipe all of these people out and start over with you. And Moses is like, don't you dare. These are your people. They're your problem, which is awesome. Right. Thinking about the flood when you were talking about like apocalypses and like disaster movies, natural disaster movies, uh, I would just like to pitch the movie The Day After Tomorrow as just like a modern Noah story Mm. because it's also all about like this dad who's trying to save his kid who's like caught in this apocalyptic event. Yeah, it's a good movie. Jake Gyllenhaal, baby Jake Gyllenhaal too. I just remember that they ate at a Wendy's and I think, gosh, when did that come out? Because I was either at that point I was working at Wendy's or I quit not long after. I don't. No, it was in college. <laughs> I was working at the time. Uh, fun time the day restaurant. after tomorrow came out in two thousand four. Yeah, I would have been working at said restaurant. Yeah, and I don't know. I just I don't think burgers would survive that long because they don't freeze the burgers. <laughs> Not just their big campaign thing. It's true they never did. At least when I was there. But anyway, side note: apocalypses. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, about that movie, though, I was just going to say, like, our, um, your dear listeners can have fun with that be, even if it's Apocalypse, I don't care. I think that And don't they, don't they, like, have an argument about burning, like, a Gutenberg Bible? Does the New York Public, yeah, does the New York Public Library have a Gutenberg Bible? I don't know. I don't know about New York Public Library. But I do like their solution, though, of let's start burning the things, like, they have an argument about burning books in general and how it's bad, but they're like, let's just start burning the books that we all can agree that should be burned. And so I like, that's how they resolve that. It's like, we won't burn the important stuff. We'll just burn like the trash literature kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, some of this stuff we can probably, c- civilization can survive without. Yeah. We don't yeah. need all of the Danielle Steele novels. <laughs> yeah. That is a good question though about, you know, where I know we're going a little off topic, but how do you manage, like, how do I preserve information, education, post-apocalypse? Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I think that that thread actually goes through a lot of the Hebrew Bible and, like, extra-biblical 
Jewish literature because, like, the Jewish people have been apocalypsed several times of, like, forces literally trying to wipe them out as a culture and uh, and the ability to retain their identity and their faith and all of that in the face of those apocalypses, that is actually like very concrete uh, for for Jewish people. I think a lot of the time we, you know, we imagine these apocalyptic scenarios and we were we say like, oh, you know, I would I would post up in the Dick Sporting Goods because they would have all the supplies I would need to survive mm-hmm. the zombie outbreak. But it's like, okay, but like for real, if the the Roman Empire sacks your city and destroys your temple and kills you know, tens of thousands of your people. Like, how do you keep going after that? Yeah, uh, yeah. And and the answer for this is obviously way oversimplified, but part of the answer is like the development of rabbinic Judaism is like how they survived. The, how do we continue past this apocalypse that we know is going to happen is the... Um, kind of basis for the foundation if you've read that series by as isaac asimov or seen the apple plus tv adaptation of it and we did a episode on horror nerds at church on that show with lenny duncan and get into some of these same conversations so check that out if you're interested in that kind of thing listeners uh we we've got to get links to like some of these specific episodes we'll put them in our episode description sure sure I'm also a Luther scholar. Like that's when I'm getting my PhD stuff in, and Luther had very interesting ideas about this as well. But it's this notion of the glory of God, that the glory of God is so magnificent and impossible for a human to witness or experience that they would be killed on sight. So there's this funny story in Exodus. Um, so Moses is just hanging out with god and he's like i want to see you god and god's like no if you see me you're gonna die because you can't handle it so moses like okay but can i see your ass then and god's like sure and so god just like parades in front of moses showing off his um thick behind or whatever and moses just seeing god's ass is enough to make moses grow horns according to jerome's translation of the bible or some sort of halo gray hair if you are not terrified of the notion that god is so immense and beyond us we should focus on the revealed jesus the person of jesus as our understanding of god because if we peer under the curtain to look at the full glory of god we will die it will crush us and destroy us and so it's like that's just so terrifying to me that this is like the theology of someone will literally destroy you crush you kill you uh, I do I do feel like I have to, uh, just a slight fact check, uh, that Moses does see God's backside. Whether or not it's thick is uh, editorializing on Pace's part. She's going to have a thick ass and thick thighs. I mean, I got to side with Pace on this one. <laughs> I respect it. Yeah, and on, you know, on the topic of, like, being destroyed by the glory of God, since, you know, we're doing a lot of pop culture tie-ins anyway, we have to talk about Indiana Jones uh, and the Ark of the Covenant. Because, like, the Ark of the Covenant in the Bible is deadly. 
Um, there is a, an incident where they are carrying the Ark of the Covenant and it slips and it's like going to fall. And so one of the Israelites puts his hand out to like steady it so that it won't fall. Uzzah, I believe is his name. Yeah. Which is like, you would think that would be a good thing. And I think it was, uh, but he still gets struck dead just from like touching the Ark of the Covenant because God's power is like so overwhelming. And I just, you know, when we think about looking on something that you shouldn't look on, it's really hard for me not to think of the end of the first Indiana Jones movie when the Nazis think that they can like harness this divine power for their own evil purposes and they open the ark and Indy's like, close your eyes. And then all the Nazis' faces melt off because that's what happens when you're a Nazi. So, so don't be a Nazi. Yeah. If you're a Nazi, God will melt your face off. Yes. Facts. <laughs> Heard it here first, folks. Don't be a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a strong agreement of this podcast. Don't be a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, the like, we we often think of God in like very tender, like nurturing caring ways which for sure is scriptural um but at the same time like scripture does have this way of understanding god that is like very terrifying and dangerous and i think that it's important that there's a both and that like god is a mother hen like sheltering her chicks under her wings which is incredibly like cozy and comforting as like an image of god but god is also like if you look at god directly you'll die um that scripture holds both of those in tension uh and obviously one of them lends itself to horror more than the other <laughs> for sure for sure take me out god <laughs> i just want to look at you take me out i'm tired <laughs> I do wonder, though, and, and Pace, you would be more of the expert on this, but, like, is there in horror, like, pop culture horror, a way that those things are held in tension? I'm thinking about, like, the the cozy and nurturing and the powerful and terrifying, like, butting up against each other. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, is. It happens quite a bit to the point that it's kind of a trope in and of itself. But uh, one of the horror's favorite kind of subgenres is like the demonic child of some sort. So you have this sweet, adorable child like Damien <laughs> in The Omen or um, the sister, the Grady sisters and the shiny and stuff like that. They seem so approachable and sweet and then you get to know them as like no they actually like are satan spawn or they're like an evil ghost who's out to murder you or something like that so you get that and then also going back to like greek mythology with the concept of medusa like that has been tread over and over again in pop culture of this like if you look at her she will kill you but it's kind of morphed now with our contemporary understanding and sexist understanding of women as objects of beauty that are to be observed by the male gaze. So you will have these like depictions of this really beautiful woman. Who's actually this like femme fatale who's out to kill you or, uh, or if you, or she'll like um, look at you in a certain way and her beauty disappears. And she's just this evil crone witch type thing 
kind of that happens a lot in horror too so yeah that's a good point yeah you know i'm trying to think back and like i obviously remember seeing it on game of thrones as an example and i know it's not specific horror but yeah when she like took her jewel off or something she turned into that old crone looking oh yeah but before that she was just a gorgeous female and then oh yeah. she's a witch she, she she's terrible look she turns ugly yeah uh and and to to take a much much uh more childish example of that uh the the evil queen in the snow white like disney's snow white right where she like turns into that like crone mm. um which is a little bit of a juxtaposition because like her as the evil queen is actually like the more terrifying and she becomes a crone to like seem safer when she like goes and gives these apples to snow white but uh yeah can we also talk about how misunderstood she was because not being invited to the christening or you're thinking of sleeping beauty you're thinking of sleeping beauty was that sleeping yeah. beauty well then i retract my statement yeah no i i i agree with you maleficent was absolutely slighted the queen in snow white literally just wanted to kill snow white because snow white was fairer so in other words whiter than she was she wanted to be the whitest white woman out of them all truly and snow white was gonna beat her at that truly a terrifying concept <laughs> right uh, coming the karen to out karen the mall coming next year from jordan peele oh my gosh the whitest white woman i would I'd watch, watch jordan peele's take on snow white right that would be wild god i like those movies right those are really you know obviously horror movies but they're more based in that reality without like the supernatural i mean there is supernatural elements but it's a lot like oh yeah i could definitely see this happening to a certain extent mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is almost more terrifying than like you know your 80s slasher movies that don't get me wrong i love pretty much all of them i mean freddy is like the ultimate villain to root for uh, yes i think i don't know if you like to wear sweatshirts or not josh but we have a merch shirt that has freddy that i i designed and drew and stuff but has freddy's claws this is for horror nerds at church and it has nail polish on each one. Um, so it's pink. So it's like basically recreating that Mimi thing and it says, treat yourself. That is fantastic. Like, I think that joke is hilarious. And that shirt uh, has so undersold. Why do not people, why do people not understand my humor and find this <laughs> as hilarious as me? That is hilarious. You just got to find the right people. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I think we're running up pretty close to time in this episode. So, I mean, we're obviously doing a second one because I think we need to <laughs> delve a little bit more into, I would personally like ghosts and demons and all that terrifying yeah. stuff that keeps you up at night when you hear random creaks or your dog starts barking at a corner of your house for no reason. All the time at my house, all the time. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of Irreverent Bible Talk. Please tune in to our next one where we will continue our Halloween October Spectacular Spook Fest. Just, just listen. It'll be fun. Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Irreverent Bible Talk. 
You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find us at soundcloud.com slash irreverentbible. And remember, just like Balaam and his donkey learned, sometimes even God communicates through a talking ass.